Where I sit here in West Palm Beach, Florida, there's a storm brewing. Off to our east, about 100 miles away, Tropical Storm Nicole, maybe even Hurricane Nicole. We already have all the warning signs that of an impending storm. It's windy outside, there's lots of rain, not to mention we have satellite imagery, statistical models from the government, the NOAA, all of which tell us we need to prepare for a potential impact in the next 24 hours. We have lots of warning, lots of data, lots of evidence that tell us as the storm approaches, the chances of it missing get smaller and smaller and smaller. The questions we are left asking now really are exactly when, exactly where it comes ashore, and just how intense it might be when it gets here. We have something similar going on in the monetary and financial marketplace. Storm warnings are up in a lot of different places across the financial landscape, most especially yield curves. Now, what kind of warnings are they sending and what can they tell us about potential storms impacting the global financial system? More than what's already happened. Before we get into all that and before we really examine all that evidence, let's back up and, say, and take a survey of where these yield curves are, in particular the U.S. Treasury yield curve and the one in Germany. Now, the U.S. Treasury yield curve, as I'm speaking, the three-month rate, the three-month T-bill rate is slightly above the 10-year rate, so inverted in the all-important three-month, 10-year space, which, of course, the Federal Reserve has since, uh, Jay Powell has since changed his mind and said, no, we only look at the three-month, 18-month forward rate. Either way, that one has flattened out, too. But the 12-month bill yield is something like 60 basis points above the 10-year Treasury note. So heavily, heavily inverted, major storm warning suggesting that something is going on. And we'll get into what that might be in a minute. Over in Germany, unprecedented. The yield curve between the 10-year and 30-year bonds inverted for the first time back in September. And then it's been in and out in, of late. It's back into inversion again. As I speak, according to the Bundesbank's calculations of the yield curve, there's different prices, the Bundesbank says that the 30-year the is about 10 or 11 basis points below the 10-year yield. So incredibly inverted again. And the fact that it's lasted almost two months is just unprecedented. So unprecedented warning. And if you look at some of the other prices, like for Bloomberg this morning, again, as I speak now, the two-year treasury according to Bloomberg's prices or the two-year shots is 215, whereas they have the 30-year at 209. So the 30-year, according to this service, is inverted to the two-year, which is completely unprecedented. So we have major storm warnings in these big-time, big-money yield curves telling us to prepare. But prepare for what? That's The yield curves don't tell us what. They don't really necessarily tell us when, and they don't really tell us when it gets here how bad it might necessarily be. We can make some relative judgments, but by and large, we're left just strictly going by the yield curve. It's about the probabilities that we're gonna be impacted with the storm. So we have a decided interest in trying to find other ways to determine, to answer these unanswered questions, which is what something that's something I'm gonna do after I give you the short little intro here. I'm Jeff, of course, this is Eurodollar University. Uh, our website is eurodollar.university. We've got memberships with exclusive videos, subscriptions, daily briefing, deep dive analysis, all available at the website eurodollar.university.
So, yield curve inversion, what is it? Yield curve inversion seems like it's simple enough, and in many ways it actually is. It basically tells you that the marketplace is expecting interest rates to go down or to be lower in the future than they are today or are in the near term, as in the situation we're in now. Central banks are hiking rates, which is pushing up short-term rates, and the long end of the yield curve, buyers at the longer end of the yield curve are saying, the central bank pushing up rates is going to come to an end, and at some point, they're going to start lowering them again. Now, there's any number of reasons why that could be. Now, so we start out with the premise, what's driving monetary policy around the world, uh, especially in the United States, is that inflation is the largest risk to every economy. Uh, Jay Powell has made, his, made it completely plain the FOMC is only focused on CPIs or the PCE deflator, depending on which measure they actually look at, whether it's the core or the full one. But either way, what the Federal Reserve has said in particular is that they're going to continue hiking interest rates until they're convinced not only has the CPI gone down, it's going to stay down. The more hawkish the Federal Reserve gets, the more hawkish Jay Powell sounds, the more inverted the yield curve becomes. So how do we interpret that inversion of the yield curve with, the, with Jay Powell's focus on the CPI? So there's really only two possibilities here. The first is that the CPI actually does come down and look like it's going to stay down and do so in a relatively quick time frame because yield curve inversion, 12-month bill, look at some of the other curves like Eurodollar futures, which are expecting rates to come down sooner rather than later. It looks like maybe that's not the likeliest possibility, right? Because the consumer prices have, because it's a supply shock, consumer price increases have been noticeably stubborn and sticky. So maybe it's not necessarily likely that consumer price, the CPI coming down and staying down, maybe that's not the reason that gets the Fed or the ECB or some of these other central banks around the world out of their rate hikes. Though there is the possibility of a recession, which would in some cases, in some, some instances, reduce consumer price pressures. That's where other central banks around the world are already looking. We already talked about a couple times last week with the Reserve Bank of Australia citing global recession risk or uncertainty to the global outlook, which is a global recession risk, is one reason why it has downshifted its rate hikes. The Bank of England uh, cited a local recession, one that England is probably already uh, already experiencing and one that might last for more than two years or at least up to two years. So some of the central banks around the world, the ECB, another one, uh, when they hiked rates a couple weeks ago, the ECB said, well, you know, we might be getting close to the end because we're also worried about recession. But would that really be enough, in the, especially in the U.S. case where the yield curve is inverted, to get Jay Powell and the FOMC to quickly ignore the CPI or to reduce the CPI rapidly in such a way that it leads Powell and the Federal Reserve to reverse course. On the other side, in the German, in the German yield curve case, it suggests that maybe if, um, if policymakers at the ECB are already signaling they're, they're at least uncomfortable with further rate hikes and maybe are thinking ahead to stopping in term, terminal rate hikes, that doesn't necessarily, in fact, I don't think it does account for the unprecedented nature 
of the German yield curve inversion. There's something else going on here, and I think it gets to the second part of our question in the US. What else could possibly turn Jay Powell around? If it's not the CPI going lower on its own and staying there, it would have to be something that takes Powell's attention off the CPI and onto something else, likely a spike in the unemployment rate, but not necessarily macro. Because we, we have a lot of evidence, we have a lot of growing, uh, growing uh, possibility here that a global recession is happening and maybe happening quicker than maybe, maybe many people are expecting. We've talked about the anecdotes, we've talked about the data. Uh, there's even more coming in now which suggests that the economy is verging closer and closer toward a recession. But th that on its own, would that be enough to turn around uh, rate hikes and turn them into rate cuts in Europe, in the United States? Is that really what the yield curve is pricing? Is a recession enough on its own to do what the yield curve specifies, to get us to lower rates in the near-term future? And especially when you look at some of the other curves, interest rate swaps and other things, it seems like the, uh, the uh, markets are increasingly certain this turnaround in policy happens sooner rather than later. Now this has been happening, I mean, the curves have been pricing this all year, and I know, you know people hate the word transitory. And if the yield curves have been inverted really heavily since July, we're already several months into this heavy inversion. So maybe you don't like the phrase sooner rather than later, but that's still true. In these monetary and financial and macroeconomic timescales, several months is, is, is nothing. It's a blink of an eye. So markets are still looking at uh, interest rates to turn around sooner or later. And we're forced to wonder what it is that ha what it is that actually makes this happen so yet we've got global recession but we've also got other things on the horizon more than more uh, more evidence of an impending storm especially in the monetary realm now i've talked endlessly about collateral and collateral shortages and collateral scarcity um, but i want to go into something else today another perhaps related topic a related piece of the overall global monetary picture which does indicate an impending storm, and not just an impending storm, but one that might be truly serious. Therefore, offering us another potential explanation for what it is that is so upsetting these major yield curves, especially Germany. I mean, the German yield curve shouldn't be inverted at all. Germany is boring. Germany is placid. There's nothing that's supposed to be going on here, which is why this inversion is unprecedented. Yet something is bothering these markets to the point that they're upsetting curves to the degree that they are. And I want to put some numbers behind this because, you know, talking about collateral, talking about collateral scarcity, even comparing something like the four-week T-bill to the RRP rate, I mean, yeah, that's kind of looks like a quantitative number, but that's not one-to-one, -one, certainly nowhere close. Even something like repo fails, repo fails that got up to over 900 billion at the end of September. That's really not, it doesn't tell us this, you know, it doesn't quantify the risks that we're facing. It's sort of just another relative indication, another, another suggestion that things have escalated. So I focused recently on foreign reserves for this reason, because foreign reserves are a quantity. They're, they're a number. It's a balance. It tells us how many quote unquote dollars or foreign exchange, usually in the form of securities, these various foreign officials of governments, reserve managers, central banks actually own. Now I've talked about uh, China, India a lot recently because of obvious reasons. 
India's foreign reserves since the end of last year, I think going back to November, they've declined by 110 billion between the end of November into October, an enormous drawdown in reserves. Uh, China, according to SAFE, has been almost 200 billion, it's 197.7 billion between uh, the end of last year and the latest update for October. So 200 billion has disappeared from China, which you say, both of those countries, it's, oh, that's no big deal because the Chinese have, uh, have more than 3 trillion in reserves. Uh, India has about 600 billion, although less than that now. So it's not really a big deal that all of these reserves are disappearing, but they're, they're telling us yeah, that is kind of a big deal, even though both of those countries still have a, a large amount of reserves left. But in India's case, that's almost 20% of the reserves has disappeared over the last year or so. China's much less, but we know China's problem is much bigger, too, because they've deputized their commercial banks over the last six weeks or so to act on their behalf so they don't have to spend any more of their foreign reserves. So just on a quantity basis, those two countries alone more than 300 billion in reserves have disappeared. One I've talked about recently and more and more of late, let's add Japan. Japan, Japanese yen has been falling precipitously just like the Indian rupee, just like China's yuan. In fact, Japanese yen has been worse shaped than either of those. And wouldn't you know it, at the same time, as I talked about in the video I did about explaining the Japanese yen's crash, Japanese reserves, foreign official reserves, foreign currency reserves have fallen by about 201 billion in the same time frame as those other two countries. Another 200 billion in reserves disappeared. And it goes on and on here. Let's go beyond those big three. Um, South Korea. South Korea between November 21 and October of 22, the latest data, 48.5 billion gone. Denmark, just kind of picking a random sample here. There's a country, small country in Europe between December 2021 and September 2022, 8.8 .8 billion, gone. The Czech Republic actually has quite a few reserves between December 21 and September 22, 37.4 billion, disappeared, gone. Australia, you know, Australia you'd think would be doing quite well. Commodity prices, lots of input, uh, heavy uh, trade, trade merchandise surplus, but yet between December 21 and September 22, minus 2.8 billion. Now, one place we would expect a lot of this money to end up, these book entry ledger balances, if they're leaving South Korea, if they're leaving Japan and India, those they're like they're paying for oil right they're paying for commodities that are extremely high in price that have increased a lot in price so shouldn't we expect a lot of these dollars if not the majority of them to end up in the oil producers those countries who are producing and exporting more oil than what than what they import in other goods so but we look at saudi arabia saudi arabia the major oil exporter between december 21 and september 22 yep their foreign reserves increased by 15 billion. Kuwait, another big oil producer, small country, like massive oil reserves. Uh, I don't know why they've only updated to July 22, but either way, December between December 21 and July 22, just 2 billion increase. Mexico, another large oil production company, though that's not the exclusive, uh, you know, Mexico exports a lot more than that. But again, 
massive trade surplus in their favor. November 21 to September 22, their reserves down 8.9 billion. Nigeria, now Nigeria way behind in its oil production quotas, but still heavy oil exporter between October 21 and September 22, minus 3 billion. Brazil, another resource country, Petrobras, another heavy oil export. Between November 21 and September 22, Brazilian foreign currency reserves minus 38.5 billion. Norway, Norway, another, you would expect Norway of all the European, all the Nordic countries, massive oil reserves, massive oil production. Their foreign reserves between December 21 and September 22, minus 5.4 billion. And I'll add one more to our sample here because I think it really, it really emphasizes the point that I'm trying to make. Switzerland. Switzerland doesn't export a lot except occasionally U.S. dollars, not actual U.S. dollars, but U.S. dollar book entries. The Swiss, foreign, the Swiss official foreign reserves, those that which are in the possession of government and government institutions, including the Swiss National Bank, their foreign reserves fell a whopping 211.5 billion between December 21 and September 22. It puts another spin on the earlier October Swiss National Bank dollar auctions, doesn't it? So what we have all together in just this sample of countries, I got most of the big ones in there, but still just a small sample of the global country and the foreign reserves over the last year or so, really less than a year, and what you see is that combined 856.5 billion in foreign reserves have vanished. They didn't show up in the oil exporting countries. They didn't show up anywhere. They certainly are not in U.S. stock markets, as the whole myth about capital flows goes. I mean, because if, if 856 billion vanished from these other countries, the conventional textbook approach says it must have come home to the U.S. Well, that can't be true. U.S. stocks are down, real estate's way down, cryptocurrencies, whatever you want to believe. There's no U.S. dollar asset benefit from all of this money, nearly a trillion official dollars vanishing. But while it hasn't shown up in official reserves, we do know to, with some degree of confidence that a lot of that money, not all of it, a lot of that money has been transferred to the corporate sector, again, in the energy industry. Corporate profits and shippers, oil production, things like that are way up. But that doesn't account for all of it either. And even if it does, it doesn't close the loop like we need it to be. Um, I think that's why, you know, we, one of the things that Steve, Steve Van Meter and I talked about recently is that we've seen a massive wave of buying in U.S. treasuries, long-term treasuries from the foreign private sector. So here's the irony of ironies here, that 856 million, billion, excuse me, in official reserves, nearly a trillion dollars in official reserves have vanished from these countries. And a lot of it has ended back up in U.S. Treasury, long-term U.S. Treasuries from the corporate sector that is benefiting from this supply shock. But this corporate sector, rather than reinvesting in nominal opportunities all over the global economy, are choosing safe, liquid U.S. dollar instruments. But the overall point here, what I'm really trying to get at, is that while some of the, one of, some of the global corporate sector has benefited from this redistribution of resources, again, that doesn't account for 
all of the missing money. There is a good possibility a major chunk, maybe like half a trillion or more, has just been destroyed. Book entries, ledger balances, balance sheet capacity that has reversed, causing all of these downdrafts and fluctuations, all of this financial disorder and disruption, increasing escalating problems in these marketplaces all over the world. Here we can put some numbers on what we've been feeling and seeing and experiencing in the across the financial landscape this year. Why the UK? Why Switzerland? Why India? Why stocks down in China? Why all of these things are happening? Money is a lot of money is being destroyed. And here's the, the, the real part, the storm warning of storm warnings, because the yield curves are saying the worst is still to come. If what we've already experienced to this point is about 856 billion, probably more money being pulled out of foreign reserves, what does the worst still to come actually look like? What is the storm warning that we're experiencing right now from the yield curve, from these reserve numbers? Tell us about the probabilities when the hurricane finally shows up. Probably gonna be something larger than 856 billion. And when you put these numbers on it, it puts the yield curve context on Jay Powell turning around, interest rates going lower. It puts that into a very different light. What would get the US Federal Reserve or the ECB or any central banks around the world out of their rate hikes quicker than when maybe a trillion or two disappears in money around the world? That's really what we're talking about here. I'm Jeff. Thank you for joining us. As always, Eurodollar University, eurodollar.university is the website. We'll keep on top of all of these warnings, all of this evidence. And I'll keep trying to, to uh, inform and interpret as much as I possibly can as we go forward here. As always, thank you to our members. Thank you to our subscribers. Um, there'll be some membership names scrolled at the end of the video. Special thanks to everyone there. Until next time, take care.